Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 995. To open today's show, Michael Bauman welcomes Jake Mintz of the Cespedes Family Barbecue and an MLB writer at Fox. Michael and Jake begin by discussing cycling, as they are wont to do, before getting into baseball playoff preview mode. We hear about the Mariners and Phillies breaking their playoff droughts, how to mispronounce Phillies manager Rob Thompson's name, the Mets getting passed by a red-hot Atlanta team looking to repeat, Aaron Judge's incredible season, Charlie Morton being unable to retire, the return of the Cespedes Family Barbercast, and of course, some hot take playoff picks. I'll take the Phils over the cards. That's going to be my hot take pick. like that. I like their pitching staff. I'm happy with it. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland's going to make a run. They're going to beat the Yankees. Okay? Yankees bullpen. They they need to get Jonathan Milan in there. Wait, and Felipe wait. Morgana. Yeah. Cleveland's going to beat the Yankees. They're going to beat the Rays and then the Yankees. Yeah. All right. You're living in... I don't know. I think you need to take more public transit, man. You're alone with your thoughts on that walk home a little too long. Listen, 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 listen. I mean, look, you know, the Yankees will probably win, duh. But Cleveland, when they rolled in for that series earlier in the year, do you remember there were the, the game where everyone threw the Miles Straw, climbed on the fence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was the picture of them walking off the field together. I think this Cleveland team is so much fun and incredibly cool and very well built for the playoffs. Highest contact rate by a team since the 17 Astros. And I think that's going to play in October. Yeah, because you know the way to score runs in October is to manufacture runs and not just home runs. Yeah, exactly. I love it. It works in October. Look at the 2015 Royals, my guy. All right. After that, Ben Clemens and Dan Zaborski get together for their own end of season banter. They discuss Michael Bauman's proposal for league expansion, as well as the legend of Joey Manessas, who has maybe already become the Nationals best player. We also hear about if the Marlins will be ready to compete before the Nationals, if the Detroit Tigers will be playoff ready before the Kansas City Royals, and the effects of the balanced schedule on division rivalries, and how Dan compares this to being bored of the Borg. Yeah, I I kind of found that, you know, stacking up on these division rival matchups, it didn't make them any more special or the rivalries any better. I think the reason you have rivalries is because they're competing over something important, not just because they're directly competing at any time. I mean, you look back at the Yankees-Dodgers World Series, you know, when you go back 50, 60 years, and those were huge rival matchups, and those teams only played each other in the World Series. So it's not like it was necessary. I think it's a little like Star Trek and the Borg. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I'm curious to hear where. The Borg were special because the stakes were always high, And also because they didn't beat them into the ground. When you got to Star Trek Voyager, they had a lot of Borg episodes. And it made the Borg less special. It didn't make them more exciting. It just made them kind of tiring. Yeah. And you can have a a limit on how many Red Sox-Yankees games during a season. And, you know, for every one of those great matchups, you get to see a lot of a really boring matchup. Please note that these conversations were recorded on Tuesday morning before the matchups were set in stone and indeed before Aaron Judge hit number 62. But before we get to these wonderful segments, I must issue my weekly reminder for you to head on over to the Fangraphs.com shop. Not only is it the place to get your swag and merch, but you can also pick up an ad-free membership, good for yourself or as a gift for a friend. It is the best way to not only browse the site, but to support the site, helping us to do everything we do at Fangraphs. We sincerely couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Enjoy the show. It's Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. Welcome to Fangraphs Audio. I just always wanted to say that. So it's been a while since 
I've been on podcasts this year. It's been a while since I've hosted one. Like, I think almost a full calendar year, so I'm a little rusty. So please forgive me for being a little imprecise in bringing in my guests. My good friend, my one-time Spotify podcast feed tunnel buddy, a MLB writer for Fox, the host of the Baseball Barbacast, a brand new podcast on Sirius, the hardest working man in show business uh, from the city that never sleeps, the one and only Jake Mintz. How you doing? I'm good. I should buy like a rain machine, you know? Yeah. So the reason I wanted to have you on is I wanted to use a little bit of David Appleman's internet to talk about the new hotness, and that's Jonathan Milan. Yes. Have you seen the happenings out of Croatia with Jonathan Milan? Now, for everyone listening who's like, who is Jonathan Milan? Is he on the Brewers? Is he a reliever that the Rays are going to bring up next year who's going to throw 70 innings that you've never heard of. No, uh, Jonathan Milan is a professional cyclist, which is the only thing that me and Bauman talk to one another about. I think when I saw you at the Phillies game last week... was The first thing you brought up was... Well, I was going to say that might be the first time I've ever talked to you about baseball. I mean, I've been on I've been on your podcast before, so like we That's did true. have to That's talk fair. about baseball then. That's true. But like definitely in a casual setting, all we talk about is how much Yandy Diaz resembles a Dutch cycling legend Matthew Vanderpool. Yeah, that's it. That's literally it. I over the last couple of years have really gotten sucked in to the world of professional European cycling and it has destabilized my life in an irreparable way. Yeah, so Jonathan Milan is a he's a giant Italian, and I just said the the words giant Italian, hoping that it would just conjure Brian Cashman, and he would show up in my apartment and ask where Jonathan Milan was. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Well, the Yankees do need some bullpen help, as their other giant Italian, Ron Marinaccio, is now on the IL. You want to talk about guys who can close? Jonathan Milan using that track speed. The finishing speed. The finishing speed. He's a closer, man. I'm really excited to see. He's so big. He's so big compared to all those little tiny skinny cycling boys, and he's climbing with them. It's very, very exciting. We need a group of cyclists where there's a a minimum weight. Yes. Like, you need to be at least 250 pounds. I want to see the big boys go up the hill. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, that's, that's really one of the few things I don't like about watching cycling is, like, they're all like these grotesquely tiny men. Like we need just not even like the 250 pound guys. Like, I would, like I'd say, human beings, people yeah, who look like, like human some, beings. People who, who resembles eats. anybody that you would meet on the street. Like Correct. I've never met somebody who looks like a professional cyclist. Right. For those unaware, it's like similar to the culture of being a jockey in a very unhealthy way. Yeah, lots of eating disorder stuff. That's you know, but you know, that's why I'm only a fan. I actually hate riding a bicycle, but it's very pretty to look at on television. Okay, so we've been doing this for like four minutes. I think the bit is is up. We should talk about the playoffs because we're recording on Tuesday morning and the playoff field is set. We've got all 12 teams, 12 teams for the first time. Very exciting news. And thanks to the expanded playoffs, the two longest playoff droughts in Major League Baseball have ended. The Seattle Mariners are going back to the playoffs. The Philadelphia Phillies are going back to the playoffs. Uh, Jake, what are, you know, do you even remember the last time these two teams were in the playoffs? I don't remember the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs. I was six years young. I did that to myself. I can't. I, I was six. Six. I do remember the last time the Phillies were in the playoffs. I watched it live. It's when Ryan Howard's Achilles said, Mm -hmm. thank you, but no thank you. I need to go. And it left and they lost one to zero. It is very fitting that they will be playing the Cardinals in their first game back. Very poetic. It's actually game six of the 2011 
NLDS is on I'd Friday. S- I'd settle for that. I have so much psychic damage from like that was the last playoff series. I think I was really, really invested in for partisan reasons, obviously. Yeah. So like the day of game five, I was teaching TAing it at Temple and I wore a, a tie to to teach my sections and like a bunch of students commented on it because I never wore a tie. And I was like, I was where I was at a wedding when the Phillies won game one. And I was wearing a tie, so maybe like this is the thing that'll push them over the mm. edge. And I got pushed over the edge that night. That was yeah. a, just a really psychologically damaging playoff with the squirrel and Cliff Lee getting Babbitt to death in game two. I've just uh, Chase Utley getting thrown out, which never happens. Chase Utley making base running mistakes. Mm. So I want to push back against something you said, if you don't mind. Okay. I think there is a narrative being swirled around on the internet machine that the expanded playoff is the only thing that has allowed the Mariners and Phillies to sneak into the postseason. And while that is true to some extent, the Mariners... That's literally true. No, that is it's literally. not. It's not. That's what I'm saying right now. The Mariners are a game and a half up on Tampa for the second spot. Okay. So- like, they would be in, in last year's field, they would be in the wildcard game. They would be in the playoffs. And Philly is only one game behind San Diego for the second spot, right? And if they catch them and they tie, they're... Like, they're... These teams aren't five games behind the second wildcard team. It certainly helped get them in, maybe, but it's not all of it. I also think that, like, it's kind of a dick move to say that to a fan of a team that, like, only made it in because it's, like, you know, yeah, it's true, but you don't need to point it out. You know, it's... it's... Reese Hoskins cried, for goodness sakes. Okay? Man, that man has been through so much. I mean, I guess not, like, in, like real-world type stuff, but, like, in terms of of just like on-field stuff. He has seen so many things. I'm really happy for him. And like Gene Segura apparently had the longest personal playoff drought of any major, any active major league player. And he's going back to the, back to the postseason. Like, you know, I was going to say, I don't care if they win. That's not true, but it's just nice to see them. This was a necessary step for this team. Yeah. And it was good the way it happened. Both them and the Mariners, whenever a team clinches, right? There's the possibility of a bizarre clinch. Like yeah. what happened to the Blue Jays this year where they clinched on an off day because the Orioles lost, I think. That did not happen to either of these teams. The Brewers won on a walk-off moments before Zach Eflin closed it out in Houston. And then the Mariners were only able to have that incredible Cal Raleigh moment because Jordan Lyles, of all people, rolled into Yankee Stadium and freaking shoved it against the Yankees. And I think, like... I saw some fans of both teams being like, I want to clinch because because my team wins. And I respect that. But also, like, that's a wild shot to call at this point with like I 10 disagree. or 20 years. Of- I disagree. And here's why. Okay, so let's say the Phillies lose last night. Or, you know, the or, Blue Jays is honestly a better example. The Blue Jays yeah. one is a better example. They clinch away from the field. Like when uh, Leicester City won the Premier League, right? You're not getting the same satisfaction as a fan because so much of it is getting to see Reese Hoskins cry, is getting to see Rob Thompson smile for the first time in his life. It's getting to see Segura, right? Like all of those moments are the whole point why you invest yourself in a team. And if you clinch on an off day, there's not the same level of like cathartic payoff. Oh, I think I think that's absolutely true. And I think there are a couple solutions to that. One is like taking the Blue Jays uh, example, like if they're not going to be at the ballpark together, then they need to be watching whatever game 
is impacting their clinching status, like at a bar together with cellophane on the walls. Like we need to have some kind of, and I think like you see this in soccer. I forget if this happened with Lester, but I remember like, I remember like Hull city getting promoted and they had something like that. And we just need to see everybody getting drenched with champagne. The poor sideline reporters going to the clubhouse, getting absolutely soaked. I always feel bad for them, but I, I just think it, it's so much like just getting to the playoffs is such a, a big thing to ask for for some of these teams. It just feels greedy to want that moment. And both the, the Phillies and the Mariners got it because, you know, the Phillies didn't have the walk off, but they had Aaron Nola taking a perfect game into the seventh inning. And like you want to look at like an avatar for the, the fits and starts that this this team's rebuild has had. Like Nola's the perfect guy and he struggled in September in the past and he's had a chance to pitch them into the playoffs and not gotten it done in the past. And he was magnificent last night he was just absolutely incredible and like you're right it does mean more i just am sort of of the opinion that like they don't ask how they ask how many it doesn't yeah. matter like as long as you get into the playoffs the clinching thing is is a nice bonus but like let's not take it for granted that they'll actually clinch of course you know you'd much rather clinch that way than not clinch at all obviously yes. but i do think there's something to it just to touch on nola this is a man who overlapped with cole hamels for a week in 2015 that's how long he's been here, okay? Yeah. Ryan Howard went over four in Aaronola's debut with two strikeouts. Is that not poetry? That this man has seen, I believe, five managers oh, during his time with the Phillies. That would be Sandberg, Mackinnon, McCannon, Kapler, Kapler, Girardi, Girardi and, and Thompson. Thompson, Thompson yeah. Right? That's yeah. unbelievable. Three general managers. Like he has seen it all. And last night was very NBA Dame time. Damian Lillard, I am now going to win. Thanks, right? He was not going to be denied, and I. it was a great, great, great watch. Yeah, you want to talk about how much, like, this run means to these Phillies players. Like, Aaron Ola expressed human emotion on camera, which, Correct. you know, I've been watching him since he was at LSU. I don't think I had ever seen that before. You can read about this over at foxsports.com. I wrote this this morning, but if you watch closely, you can see Hoskins find Nola in the scrum on the field after the game and their hug was very long. It was much longer than everyone else's hug. And that's because they've been through the whole shebang. It's a hug that sounds like the theme to remember the Titans. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was. I do have one gripe though. And one I'm confused about something. And I, I want you to see if you can help me with this. Okay. How do you spell Rob Thompson? There's no P it's T H O M S O N. Like there's Tom. Like, yeah. So. Like Bobby Thompson. Correct. Yeah. Did you watch Reese Hoskins' post-game interview? No. So here's what here's what happened. I was writing the article that went up today at like 1030 at night. I had the game on on my TV in my office. And the Phillies, I think, clinched at 1110 East Coast time. And at 1052, the power went out in my apartment complex. and didn't come back on until one in the morning. Amazing. So like I stayed up until the power went on and I looked at, you know, watched the, some of the post-game stuff on YouTube afterwards, but I didn't see the, like the post-game interviews or anything like that. So you can find the whole thing is on the MLB TV feed and I recommend it if you're able to go back and watch. But besides Reese crying, there was a moment where he, you know, shouted out Rob Thompson and he called him Tomper. Tomper. He said this, you know, Tomper's been through so much, Tomper this, Tomper that. There's no P. You could put a P in there. You could put a, a P after any M in any proper noun. Really? 
Yeah. So like, you know, in college, like, you know, if, if somebody's from uh, actually from South Carolina, if they say Clemson instead of Clemson. Bro, I don't know. You would never call Tom Tomp a guy named Tom. You want to call him Tomp or Timp. Mm. You want to call a guy Tim Timp. Tomper, not Tomer. It's not. There's no P in Thompson, right? Yeah, but like sports nicknames don't have that kind of logic. Like anything that it's just got the first part of his name and then an ER at the end. Which would be Tomer. And this is my point. Yeah, I but think Tomer, what happened no, here, no, no, Tomer no, no, sounds. The whole thing about Rob Thompson is that there's no P. He's P-less. Okay? This is a P-less skipper. No P. And I think that when he was introduced to the Phillies, when he became the bench coach, no one saw his name in writing. It was Rob Thompson, and they just thought there was a P. What do you mean nobody saw his name in writing? He wears his name on his shirt every single day. I think that there are non-zero guys on the Phillies who think there's a P in Thompson. Well, I think that's true. I think there are non-zero guys who would look at like at Thompson and say, oh yeah, there's a P in that word. But I don't think Hoskins is one. Reese is not that. Reese is a smart yeah, Reese, guy. Reese like, knows people's names. He knows how to read, you know? Yeah. I just think it sounds so much better. Like Tom or Gah. Like, it sounds like the nickname you give, like, the worst kid on your U13 hockey team. Tomper! Tomper is, is like Thomper, you know? It's like a, it's, there's a, like a, you know, I'm doing this in front of the microphone. I don't know if it's picking up. Like, you know, a real percussiveness to it. And, uh, I mean, that doesn't seem to match Rob Thompson's personality at all, but it's a, a better nickname. I loved his postgame speech where he goes... He doesn't smile, and then he tries to drink champagne out of a bottle with a cork in it. You know, I like mean, when you think your water bottle's open? Yeah. And it's it's closed? That happened to him. Or he's never opened champagne before. Ah, that's not true. He was on the Yankees. He coached for the Yankees. Well, the Yankees have someone to open the champagne for you. That's the, the way wow. they do things up there. I mean, drinking from a, a closed bottle is sort of what the Phillies have been doing for the past 11 years. So Ayo. I'm just, you know, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for all the lunatics that, that I knew growing up or, you know, coming of age in the Phillies blogosphere back when, you know, you were doing the three R's in, in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's fun. And like, just getting here is such a big thing and having like having tangible progress to show for it. Yeah. I get on teams a lot for not trying and the Phillies have tried the past five years. They've just been bad. Correct. <laughs> that is of any team in baseball. They deserve not credit, right? But they have, like, Middleton has spent the money. He has spent the money. He has gone and gotten the players. Now, has he always gotten the right players? That's a different conversation we can have, right? But mm. they went and paid Harper, and they went and paid Schwerber, and they went and paid Castellanos, and Wheeler, extended Nola. Like, they did, and Real Muto, they did the hard part. I mean, what I'm taking away from this is that the Phillies are the most morally upright team in Major League Baseball and, and deserve to win the World Series. Correct. Can I tell you a secret yeah. before we leave the Phillies? Yeah. I think they're going to beat the Cardinals. Uh, so I've been talking about, like, so I'm getting credentialed for all the Phillies playoff home games, which I think the modal outcome is zero for number of Phillies playoff home games because they, they're going to go on the road no matter what. But I'm looking at the Cardinals and I'm like, they're there for the taking, right? Like, Well, they are, and it's more of just... You can envision a world where Wheeler dominates and then Nola dominates and that's it. I've been saying this for like all season that like the Phillies rotation makes them very dangerous in a 
in a short series. And all the attention went to the the bats, so, you know, Harper, Schwarber, Cassiano's back when we thought we would hit Hoskins, Riomuto, and like the starting pitching can really end a particularly best of three series. If they get into the bullpen, then there's problems, obviously. But I do think they can give the Cardinals a lot of trouble if, you know, you pitch around Goldschmidt and Arenado. Yeah. And yes, Yankees fans, you're allowed to do that. It's not against the rules. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to move over to Aaron Judge? Sure, yeah. Actually, let's let's talk about that. Anyway, I like I like the Phillies. Yeah, I think like I made a joke about how like you know how every year in the NBA playoffs there's that like three six series that always involves the Hawks that gets put on NBA TV and nobody watches it. No. Okay. Well, this is a a meme in basketball. I okay. keep forgetting that like I'm talking to people who don't follow other sports except for cycling cycling apparently. But like this is a the Phillies Cardinals if it happens it's going to be the equivalent of that. Phillies Mets on the other hand if they manage to overhaul the Padres could be the battle of Armageddon. Anyway, Aaron Judge has been stuck on 61 home runs for like a month now. Can I ask you a simple question? Yeah. Do you want him to hit 62? Do you want yeah. him to hit the last one? So there's like my earnest answer and then there's the answer I give because the older I get, the less I have actual emotions and the more all I want is just to do bits. And I think Aaron Judge sticking at 61, particularly if he gets and this might be out of date by the time the, the podcast runs, because there will be the last two games of the season. But if he ends up being stuck there, what a hilarious bit that's going to be after all the fanfare about him breaking this record. Like earnestly, I think it would validate the just incredible season that that he's had. But just how he's completely stalled out in the past couple weeks is really funny. It's really funny. It is funny. It is not his fault. No. He is finally being pitched around like he should, um, like Bonds was. This is the best offensive season we've had since Bonds, right? And so, of course, he's going to be treated like that to an extent. I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. You and lots of people. Yeah. There is one unfortunate byproduct of the whole thing, because it's kind of created two camps, right? There's the judge is worthy of all the attention and more, and pitchers should pitch to him camp right? Where he's breaking the real record. That's one camp, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other camp is kind of like the real record is 73. Aaron Judge only has 61. Get him off my college football Sunday. Enough with all the hoopla. He People only care because he's a Yankee, right? Oh, man. And the real truth is in between that. I agree. The real record is 73. 62, if it happens, is unbelievable and incredibly impressive, right? And I'm, I'm bummed out that where a lot of the discourse has gone is where people are trying to discredit the greatest offensive season we have seen since Barry Bonds. Or discredit Barry Bonds himself. And I mean, sorry, like, even if this weren't the record, like, did you descend from apes who had 10 fingers and 10 toes? Like, round numbers are cool. Getting to 60 is something you don't see that often. And it's incredibly cool that he got there. And you know, every additional home run he hit is just another validation of just a remarkable, remarkable season, the likes of which, like, you know, if you put a gun in my head right now, like, I'd probably vote for Aaron Judge for AL MVP over the Shohei Otani season that he's having right now. You don't even have to put a gun to my head. I'll just do it. Okay. I'll do it for free. I'd probably do it if you didn't put a gun to my head, but... I don't have any guns to put to your head, both because I don't own weaponry and this is virtual. Yeah. Well, the only weapon I need is Aaron Judge's bat. Got him. All right. And 
like, first of all, so this is historic. Like, even if it's not actually the record, it's still historic. And I think, first of all, the people who are mad that they're cutting into college football Saturday, like, grow up. Like, I can't believe that you're you're upset that your shit-ass Iowa football team experience is getting interrupted by a guy, you know, potentially hitting more home runs than anybody it has in 15 years or almost 20 years now. Like, that's huge. It's a, it's, it's a huge deal we should be cutting in. But also, you know, the, the real record discourse is... I'm a little uncomfortable with it because a lot of it seems to be seems to have been spurred by Roger Maris Jr. spouting off like that's it was always simmering in the background. But that's when it like really got intense. And I'm like, I don't want to go in on on that guy. You know, like I feel like he's he's entitled to to have that opinion. I understand where he's coming from, but like 73 is the record. But this is still really freaking cool. Yeah, that's all it needs to be, really. As for as far as whether they, you know, whether anybody pitches to him again, like there's the honest answer, which is like, you know, I'll give him a chance. I want to see how far he can go. Like it seemed like like there was an outside possibility a couple of weeks ago that he might make a run at 70. Yeah. Like and so I would have liked to see that happen. But also it's very funny to watch him stand there and get walked. His like, zone rate, his zone rate since he hit 60 is 25.7 percent. So he's seeing only a quarter of the pitches he sees are in the zone. Yeah. Which is by far the lowest in baseball over that span. Him and O'Neill Cruz, and then there's a gap. Which is weird, because those are the two biggest targets in, in baseball. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think that it would be easy to hit. Now, I, I sorted by a walk rate over the last 14 days, and he's at 32.8, which is obviously the, the highest in baseball. And, like, that's still, he's still producing a ton of offensive value that way. Also in the top 10, Kyle Schwarber, number nine at 20.3. They're walking him so he doesn't catch Judge. Right, they're worried. I mean, that's that's really though the most impressive thing about this to me is how far ahead of the competition he is. Because Schwarber's gone nuts the past few days and seven home runs in the past two weeks, and he's still fifteen behind while judges stalled out. And I don't think anybody else is above forty, right? So correct. There was a point where he was twenty ahead, and their record for essentially most home runs that the leader is above the runner up ever, like the biggest gap, right? It was Ruth, 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 Judge, Ruth, Ruth. I just I just don't understand how you could be confronted with that information and be blasé about it. Like, I know it's the Yankees. I know this is like one of the most boring personalities among that you can have among elite athletes. I, you know, I know that it, it brings back all the steroid discourse that sensible people have dispensed with. You know, you and I talking about baseball and cycling on this show are obviously very pro performance enhancing drugs. We love uh, it. So maybe we're not the shoot me up, Scotty. But what like bugs me is is like people pretending that everybody was dirty except whoever they like, you know. Which Phillies reliever got popped was Antonio Bastardo. Man, got I love Antonio I think. Bastardo. I think he so got many popped. of those so many of those guys got popped though. Like, and that's what I'm saying is like if you know this random guy in the bullpen is putting what he needs to in his body, we don't hear about that. You only hear about the top. But if the bottom was doing it too, it does even the playing field. And what a bottom Antonio Bastardo had. Yes, he. Yeah. Huge strikeout rate, huge dump truck booty. One of my favorite Phillies players of the of the past fifteen years. Did he get one second? Did he get popped? Yes, he did. Okay, just making sure. Biogenesis. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember yeah, that. Yeah, let's not slander Antonio Bastardo. Yeah, like I wanted the, to double check. The definitive like interregnum Phillies PED suspension for me was Carlos Ruiz. He got twenty five games for back when that was an option. I don't know. PED discourse is nonsense. You know, just just give me the dingers. I don't want to know anything. You yeah, know? And, well. 
there is a real serious aspect to this and then i would love to not talk about it anymore which is it's disappointing that whenever anyone does something amazing we doubt it and that's very true in cycling too right mm-hmm. Someone I think has we're an, just now getting at it. We're just now getting out of it. There's an incredible performance, and our first reaction as as the viewing public is, this can't be real. And to me, that's the most disappointing, you know, effect of the steroid era, is that we have to validate everything. You know, that sucks. That sucks. I just want to be able to watch cool stuff and have everyone say, "Oh, that's cool." I don't know. We could talk about this and then end on it. But like my galaxy brain take about this is caring about PEDs is like politically problematic because back in the 1980s, which is a thing that I'm sure you've read about in books. Yeah. The steroid hysteria in Olympic sports got big because it was something that the communists did. And then it, that got tied into war on drugs rhetoric, which is, you know, based in, in racism and classism. And you know, also one of my favorite bands. Yeah. A Philly band. Big week for for the Phillies. And just it's tied up in all these ugly political undercurrents. And and it's so selectively enforced. Like, you know, Ben Johnson is a dirty cheat. And, you know, you just look at him. And meanwhile, like the difference between him and Carl Lewis is Carl Lewis didn't get caught. Like that's the, you know, just the, the moralizing about it. When it comes from just such a deeply cynical place that this is a thing we care about. And it's only in a few sports. Like football has never cared about PEDs. Football has always been very businesslike about PEDs, which might be the only good thing about football culture, but like you don't have to be hysterical about it. You could just take your medicine, well, not take your medicine, so to speak, and then and then move on and just be an adult. So anyway, that's like my galaxy brain take that I'm, I'll write a book about someday. But, you know, is there anything we haven't really previewed the playoffs? Is there, a, you know, a matchup you're looking forward yeah. to? Is there, you know, I imagine you've got thoughts on everything. So I was walking home from the coffee shop. Like Aaron morning, Judge. Walking home. Yeah, just like Aaron Judge. They wouldn't pitch to me in my own home. Ugh. So I went to go work no in respect. the coffee shop. No respect. And I was like, oh, I got to, you know, every, every website wants you to pick. You know what I mean? Mm. Wants you to pick. Yes, I do. I do know what you mean. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to pick. So I'll take the fills over the cards. That's going to be my hot take pick. Like that. I like their pitching staff. I'm happy with it. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland's going to make a run. They're going to beat the Yankees. Okay? Yankees bullpen. They they need to get Jonathan Milan in there. Wait, wait. Yeah. Cleveland's going to beat the Yankees. They're going to beat the Rays and then the Yankees. Yeah. All right. You're living in, I don't know. I think you need to take more public transit, man. You're alone with your thoughts on that walk home a little too long. Listen, 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 listen. I mean, look, you know, the Yankees will probably win, duh. But Cleveland, when they rolled in for that series earlier in the year, do you remember there were the, the game where everyone threw the Miles Straw, climbed on the fence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was that picture of them walking off the field together. I think this Cleveland team is so much fun and incredibly cool and very well built for the playoffs. Highest contact rate by a team since the 17 Astros. And I think that's going to play in October. Yeah, because you know the way to score runs in October is to manufacture runs and not just home runs. Yeah, exactly. I love it. It works in October. Look at the 2015 Royals, my guy. All right. You have any idea how long ago 2015 was the tactical evolution of this sport? Don't forget your history, okay? I'm taking, uh, I'll take Cleveland. Oh, you're right. Well, you know, that contact-heavy approach didn't work out so well for the 1924 Giants, so. That's true. That's true. Okay, so I like Cleveland. Again, the Rays will probably sweep them. I think the Jays are going to just two and cue the Mariners. Yeah, I agree. And then, who am I forgetting? Oh, the series that I covered, the Mets and the Padres. 
Let's talk about the Mets, dude. Okay. Woof. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not woof though. Like they've been good. They've been playing. Yeah, like... but it doesn't matter. Like it, it it's not their fault. They are going to win a hundred games. If they yeah. could beat the Nats twice. But it's still you went down. You had to win one. You just had to win one. Because if they win one, they're tied and they have the tiebreaker. And they couldn't win any of them with Degrom and Scherzer. I understand that it's a good team that's going to win a hundred games, but push came to shove and, and you got pushed. I'm not I'm shove. not disputing that it was a, a lackluster performance in a big moment, but I think this is just so much more about the Braves being good. Like I still think this is an underrated team after they won the World Series last year. Like we're really sleeping on yeah. on how complete a team this is. I think that they could pose a threat to the Dodgers. I think that I agree. I think you know I, even before they caught the Mets, I thought they were better uh, just on paper than the Mets. But they're I mean they're so hot right now. Yeah, the issue right now for me for them is Strider's health. If he's yeah. good to go, Strider Wright Freed is pretty close to as good as any top three in baseball. Certainly better than whatever the Dodgers can roll out. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's true. It's just weird saying that after, like, we've taken the front half of their rotation for granted. Like, it's not even that their pitching is bad. It's just that everybody else is sort of caught up. Well, it's, okay, think about this, right? Like, for for those three pitchers. You have a guy whose ankle should have snapped in half in Game 6 of the World Series in Max Fried. You have a Mm -hmm. guy who none of us knew about on opening day, Spencer Strider. I knew about him because he pitched for... Well, of course you knew about him. He pitched for Clemson in South Cle- Carolina. Clemson with a P. Clemson. I know. Clemson. You're, That's you're, a callback. That's, you're built different, Michael Bauman. But, uh, and then the last was Kyle Wright, who almost barely made the roster last year. It's just remarkable that they have made those three the top three. Because Charlie Morton has been blah, generally. Mm-hmm. Even though they just gave him $20 million to run it back. Here, Man. here's the $20 million we're not paying Ronald Lacuna and Ozzy Alves. Like, I had a, a player text me after they saw the Morton deal and said, poor Charlie, this man's been trying to retire for five years. And the Braves <laughs> so just true. keep, they just keep, they're like, $20 million? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's so true. Like, I remember, what was it, 19 when he was with Tampa? or Tampa Bay, like you looked so ready to, to like go, go back to the farm. And uh, yeah, just like you said, the, the Braves are just giving, I mean, sure. I'll, you know, work another nine months for, for $20 million. Why not? That poor man. So what do you have to plug? You've got, you've got the Fox stuff. You've got the, the podcast, the, the, the latest iteration of the, of the podcast. So tell yeah. everybody where you can find your work. I mean, famously me and uh, how would I put this? You know, like in, uh, you know how minor leaguers, are often forced to go forward to a room, Mike. Yeah. That's what the old podcast feed was, where me and you and Jordan and our Zach friends and, and Zach yeah. and Ben, they were like, all right, we got two mattresses. You guys have an air mattress. Go crowd in there on Spotify. But now you and I, we each have our own podcasts. And here we are. I'm still like, no, I'm still the little spoon with, with Ben Clements. You're going to hear a few yeah, minutes. So you're stretching true. out. But. but here's the thing about me and you sharing a space. You and I, we are uh, audio man spreaders, right? That's absolutely true. We take up a lot of space here on a podcast, which is probably why everyone listening is overwhelmed. Anyway, you can listen to mine uh, and Jordan Schusterman's new podcast, Baseball Barbacast. It's on the Sirius XM podcast network. No, 
you don't need to listen to it on SiriusXM Radio. It's just like a podcast. Just it's wherever you listen. What is it? Wherever else you get your podcasts, that's where you can find wherever, it. Wherever podcasts are sold. It's wherever the, podcasts it's the arch are way sold. of doing that. Yeah, exactly. And then I will be writing a lot over at Fox Sports this year. Mike, I became a real reporter, a real boy. You know, I got my own health insurance and <laughs> learned how to report. I mean, it's both of those things are big steps. You know, they're not not as hard as they look, but also like both a major pain in the ass for me personally. So I'm proud of you that you you're spreading your wings. Yeah. I mean, I have the worst health insurance possible, but I guess I have it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to do, you got to do what I did when I was your age and just get married. So you can get on better health insurance. I think I might do that. I think that's probably the plan. And then I'll be writing at Fox sports during the postseason a couple times a week. I'll be covering any playoff baseball game that happens in the New York metropolitan area, except for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. I won't be there. Everybody's disappointed. And you'll be you'll be texting me about the Giro di Lombardia this weekend too. Who do you like? I don't even know. I haven't I haven't looked at it that closely. Like You see Enric Moss drop Pog last last weekend? Yeah, that's exciting, but it's Enric Moss. Yeah, I'm taking Pog. That seems like the I mean, he's just been so good in the in like the climby monuments. Like it it seems yeah. hard for Yeah. Yeah, and like he needs one after, you know, after Worlds and after the Tour de France. So All right, so we're going to take a break. We're going to let Jake go. We're going to be back. Well, we won't. The show will be back with Dan Samborski and Ben Clemens right after this. Fair and kind Fangraphs audio listener, you have reached the second half of the Fangraphs audio podcast. You have been rewarded for your loyalty. I'm Dan Zaborski, and I'm joined by Ben Clemens for the Dan Zaborski and Ben Clemens Untitled Baseball-Related Podcast segment. Hi, Ben. Hey, Dan. Rewarded was in quotation marks there, right? No. these It's a fine reward. I mean, we could give out suckling pigs for feasts at St. Swithin's Day, but this is a lot easier. It, this is a lot easier. I would prefer to just, you know, talk for a little bit to my friend and colleague rather than actually have to go deliver suckling pigs to yeah, presumably a lot of people. Yeah, I don't I don't even have a suckling pig guy, so that that's a whole problem. <laughs> we are here at the most wonderful time of the year, playoff time. Almost. We know exactly who is playing in the playoffs, but we're not quite at the point where we know who is playing who. We will know that by the time this airs, but until someone invents a time machine that allows us to to manipulate that, we don't quite know. So Ben what playoff matchup are you most hoping to see in the first round? And what do you want to happen? I am most interested in the Mariners-Blue Jays series, which looks to be fairly likely at this point. And the reason I'm most interested in that is because it's the two teams that I most want to see in the playoffs. The Blue Jays are fun. You know, they've been in the playoffs somewhat recently, but in a very different core. Not in this, you know, young hitters who are exciting and Alec Manoa, who I like, and they just have a lot going on that I really enjoy. And the Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001, so that's obviously very interesting for them. I guess that matchup is not set, right? Like the Mariners are only a game ahead of the game and a half ahead of the Rays, so it it could end up not happening. But I, I think that's the one that I'm most interested in, with a runner up to uh, Mets Padres because those are good teams. The magic number is two, but we've already gotten a a peak in the first. The first run of this new playoff format with three wild cards, kind of the weirdness that can happen when the third division winner is automatically the number three seed. Because if you're the Mariners and you have a choice between playing the Guardians or playing the Blue Jays, 
did you really benefit by getting to play the Blue Jays? Yeah, I don't think it matters that much either way, to be honest with you. Like, I, I imagine the, the differences in team expected win percentage are small enough as to be pretty close to insignificant in a three-game series. And that you could look at, you know, which hitters match up with your pitchers better. I'm not sure that that matters that much either. I don't think it's a, a huge consideration. It probably is more than zero. And it, it's certainly rough for the Padres, say, who have to play the Mets instead of the Cardinals. Like, ooh, that's rough. I was going to bring that one up, but I felt it would be it was a little too early in our, our, our podcast segment to start taking swipes at your fandom. Nah, that's, uh, that's not a swipe at my fandom to say that the Mets are pretty good. Yeah, that, that one feels rougher to me. And the thing that makes that one at least a little bit better is that the Phillies were in some danger of missing the playoffs. And so they were obviously not tanking to the sixth seed. There's just, that would be a very bad idea with the Brewers lurking behind, uh, lurking ineffectually, just, you know, getting beaten by the Marlins back and forth. Not a great version of lurking, but nonetheless, the Brewers were close enough that the Phillies couldn't take their foot off the gas pedal. So I'm not too worried about that. The division series has always had this problem too, right? Yeah. Like the second division winner has often gotten a good deal because they get to play the third division winner instead of the wild card winner. It's just a, a problem with with the idea of having wild cards that could be fixed by seeding based on wins. Now, our friend Michael Bauman, who you just heard, listener, suggested on Fangrass that we should advance to a 48-team league, which does make the number of current playoff spots more ideal. How would you feel about a 48-team league? It's too many. I like the concept of expansion. I think expansion. I think baseball needs expansion. I don't think baseball needs a... Uh, 48 teams. That seems like a lot. But just imagine the chaos of the expansion draft. Right. As I mean, the, would they do as, it all at once? I would hope so. I want to see 14 teams <laughs> taking 50 players each. Right. And not split it up. One long marathon. Because I want to see Rob Manfred have to announce every one of those expansion draft picks. And it's like hour 89. And Rob Manfred is is haggard and he wishes he was playing golf and he's just blurting out words, just no idea what's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> right. I don't think this is going to happen. The 48 team expansion. Oh. You know, it's a it's a cute idea, but I think expansion is due. And I, I do think that'll help the playoff format a little bit, but I don't want to see four divisions per league, I don't think. Yeah, that, that is my, my, my biggest problem, because what's going to happen is then we will end up somehow, it makes a 16-team playoff so much easier, and I'm absolutely going to hate that, because as you said, four team divisions, and with 16 teams, you don't have buys, and baseball doesn't really have any good way to reward division winners other than a buy. because I mean, no sport of, does, really. But I mean, home field advantage kind of matters more in those sports. It doesn't really matter that much in baseball. Yeah, that's true. Especially home field advantage matters more when you have it for 100% of a series, like in a football game, as opposed to, you know, four sevenths of a series. And like a league like the NBA, eight seeds can defeat one seeds, but it would happen so much more often in baseball than in, in the NBA. Yeah. In the NBA, the advantage of being the one seed is that it probably means you have a superstar or two or three. Now, since we're talking playoff justice and injustice, what I feel kind of bad for, but it's kind of almost appropriate in some sort of metaphysical way, is that the Mets blew a 10.5 game lead in the division while winning at a 96 win pace. Is that tragic or comic or both? Because it feels like the kind of failure that the Mets, only the Mets could do. It's like they failed at failing and they had to fail, they had to fail by winning. <laughs> 
I think it's not really tragic. The The penalty is not astronomical. They still made the playoffs. They're still playing well. Yeah, you'd, you'd prefer not to have this extra series. And also, they played really well. I feel like this is just kind of a classic division race of days of old. And I like that the stakes are higher now. That's great. You know, like, if this had happened in the one wildcard era, it would be just phenomenally uninteresting. These two teams would have clashed, and then the loser would have no consequences, and then we'd just move on with life. And that sounds boring to me. Whereas this way, I like that there are consequences. I like that the consequences aren't you miss the playoffs if you're a 100-ish win team who happens to get beaten by a really, really hot Braves team. Like the Giants-Dodgers series last year had consequences, and worse than this one, honestly, and was... I don't think that was a collapse by the Dodgers. Same deal. This wasn't a collapse by the Mets. But it is funny the way that, you know, the dice rolled out or whatever, that they got to this big lead and then played well enough to maintain it and still lost it. It would have been like if the Giants lost at the end last year, right? Yeah. One interesting thing about the Mets and the Braves is it's actually highlighted for me one of the benefits of not having a game 163 that I didn't really consider at the start. I, I still hate the concept because I like chaos i i have kind of our colleague jay jaffe's desire for you know everything melting down you know team entropy and all that but in a sense it made the games over the weekend that much more important because they essentially played the game 163 ahead of time through the season series which was you know now won by the braves so it's like it made it did make those regular season games more important because it decided division and the tiebreaker in one and I didn't expect to not hate it as much, but I don't in this situation. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I mean, the teams won't always be 8-8 going into the 19th game. So that that does put a little bit of a wrinkle in it. How many games are these teams going to play against each other next year in the balance schedule? Is it nine? I forget offhand. I think it's nine. I think that, that makes the math. Nine times 14 sounds about right for uh, league games. Which makes more sense in a league where you have... Half the the league going in the playoffs via a wild card. Yeah, I think that the balance schedule had to follow the wild card. I feel good about that. And I don't mind a balance schedule. I always thought it was very silly when we'd have all these debates over, is the NL Central any good? Or are they just beating up on these bad teams? And But their records aren't better. And so should we consider them bad? Let's just find out by having them play the games. Yeah, I, I kind of found that, you know, stacking up on these division rival matchups, it didn't make them any more special or the rivalries any better. I right. think the reason you have rivalries is because they're competing over something important, not just because they're directly competing at any time. I mean, you look back at the Yankees-Dodgers World Series, you know, when you go back 50, 60 years, and those were huge rival matchups, and those teams only played each other in the World Series. So it's not like it was necessary. I think it's a little like Star Trek and the Borg. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I'm curious to hear where. The Borg were special because the stakes were always high, And also because they didn't beat them into the ground. When you got to Star Trek Voyager, they had a lot of Borg episodes. And it made the Borg less special. It didn't make them more exciting. It just made them kind of tiring. Yeah. And you can have a a limit on how many Red Sox-Yankees games during a season. And, you know, for every one of those great matchups, you get to see a lot of a really boring matchup. I can count how many years... Before, during the, like the Chuck Lamar Rays era, where you'd had those interminable 19-game series between a terrible Orioles team and a terrible Rays team. And it's like, oh, there's almost a month. There's three weeks of these games. 
this is going to be a bit of a digression, but I feel like the issue with the Borg is that they work better when the fight against them is desperate and they're kind of this indomitable force. But you can't just have seasons and seasons of a desperate, like a last gasp effort. It's not interesting. And so there, there was kind of this problem of they only work as an unstoppable force, but you can't have an unstoppable force in every episode because, well, what would yeah. happen? So I'm, I'm with you on your Star Trek criticism. They can't be the villain of the week. Right. They need to be uh, like Klingons and Romulans work better for that because they're kind of evenly matched and you, you can have the sides go back and forth. There's no going back and forth with the Borg. Now, just before we go on, I do want to say that Deep Space Nine was the superior show, just for anyone listening. I'm, I like The Next Generation the most, but Deep Space Nine is better than Voyager. Yeah, but for The Next Generation, that counts. You have to watch, you, you can't forget about the first two seasons. Oh, I've, I've watched them. They're not good, but I like the show overall better anyway. But that, that's part of it. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Since we're, since we're talking about the NL East, Ooh. we've been talking about a little about a player for the Washington Nationals. And yeah, there are still players in the Washington Nationals. You might have to look them up to see who they are and say, you know, Alex Call, who is that? But we've been talking a bit about on the site and, you know, we've heard from our, our friend Ben Lindbergh over on The Ringer about Joey Manessas, who, yeah. <laughs> you know, he has a 947 OPS and now he's got a third of a season of games. He's just killed the ball and he's not even a guy who has like a long history of killing in the minors. So it's a lot of fun to see these guys. Yeah, would you say he's the only, like, currently good player on the Nationals? They have lots of players who could be good. You can make that argument. See, the problem is if you, like, look at their, their stats for the season, you'll see guys who aren't on the team anymore. Like, oh, right, right. they don't have him anymore. Like, oh, oh, I get who would the second best player on the Nationals be? I think it's like Josiah Gray. <laughs> Rasmo Ramirez. Yeah, it's, it's not great. <laughs> Cesar Hernandez, I like. Lane Thomas is okay. It's not an, an appetizing slate. This is Luke Voigt erasure, I guess. Luke Voigt is pretty decent, but not not that good. He's no Joey Manessis. <laughs> oh, man. I wrote about for Tuesday, so two days ago as this goes up, the Nationals-Phillies game from last Friday that was hastily rescheduled due to uh, Hurricane Ian's imminent arrival. And wow, was it a tough game to watch. The Nationals ran out an unexpected day game lineup, and it was basically like Manessis and no one. And I think he had three hits, and the rest of the team was hardly there. This is a bad team, but a good Joey Manessis. What has made him so good, Dan? I'm not sure, to be honest. <laughs> no, he, he's hit for a lot more power than, than he... The last few seasons in the minors, you kind of see that power developing. But you look at his minor league history... And he was never really that much of a prospect, like at any point. Uh, we talk sometimes about Ken Phelps All Stars, like another player on the on on the Nationals. Sadly, who seems to be on the way out, Nelson Cruz. He had a case. He was, you know, a Ken Phelpser, you know, fifteen years ago. And if he had been born twenty years earlier, I don't think he gets another chance to to start in Texas in two thousand eight and have that opportunity for a full time starting job at, at, at twenty eight. But right, and then really made the most of it. Yeah, but he 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 killed the ball in the minors, so you can see the argument for him. But really, until recently, there was like no real reason to give Manessis a job in the majors, and I kind of like that. I think it's a sign of a well run team, even if I don't think the Nationals are particularly great. I think teams benefit when they don't write a player's skill set in permanent ink. I think you always want to give a player an opportunity to prove you wrong about them. Yeah, I think that is generally a sign of a good front office, especially when you're doing it with players who 
are kind of like probabilistic depth shots, right? Like anybody, not anybody can, but it's a lot easier to take a guy who's really good and just let them ascend the ranks. If C.J. Abrams works out, we're not going to be like, ah, the genius Nationals front office. You thought this top 10 prospect in baseball was good and it turned out he was? Good good work, guys. But uh, kind of scrapping together pieces who are, I mean, I don't want to say he was on the scrap heap, but look at his minor league log. Like you said, he never really showed that he's been hit for power and he bounced around to a million different teams. Yeah, it is. It's good process to be trying to find places for guys like these and seeing if they work out. And it's nice to see good results along with the good process for the Nats because it's been, you know, it's been thin on the ground for them. How long do you think it'll take them to compete again? I mean, their farm system had has improved quite a lot because in large part because of the trades. Do you think they will they will field a contender quicker than the Marlins will? Because the Marlins are a better team overall, but the Nats probably will still be more willing to spend than the Marlins. So who becomes relevant again quicker? Ooh. Because, you know, my gut would tell me the Marlins, but that also assumes a team that is going to make an effort to put together an offense around that right. pitching staff. Because they have a very, very fun, exciting pitching rotation. Uh, Sandy Alcantara is likely to be one of the top two Cy Young winners, probably the favorite to win the NL Cy Young. I mean, look at them. Lopez, uh, Luzardo, yeah. when, when he when he's been on the field, has been quite solid. Those Some of those walks have disappeared a bit. Yeah, Edward Cabrera is very fun. I mean, there's a lot of fun. And then you look at that offense and you're like, oh, dear God. Yeah, I'm going to go probably against the smart pet and say the Nationals. I feel like they do some things wrong. And I don't always agree with the decisions their front office makes. They seem to not trust in uh, in kind of the the analytically and data-driven advances of the last few years as much as a lot of other front offices in similar positions and kind of go for tools over... Uh, over numbers guys to an extent that I don't love, but I like their willingness to spend. I think that I trust Mike Rizzo to understand how to put together a winning team and understand when you need to spend a lot of money on that. And I think that selling the team would actually probably be good for them because you're not going to buy the nationals at a fairly high price, surely, and then run them like you're Bob nutting. You just can't, it doesn't really track. It's a pretty big media market. They've recently won a World Series, and I, I think that anyone acquiring the team is going to be acquiring it to think of it that way. And I think that actually gives them kind of a tailwind. The guy who acquires the team is not going to be like, ah, these deferred contracts. Like, that's that's sunk cost when he buys the team. And I, I think that'll really help. I think that they just, I trust the Nationals to be good in the long run because they have been before. Maybe that's silly, but I don't know. I feel like teams have long institutional memories. <laughs> Like, we're not making fun of the Marlins because they were bad this year. We're making fun of the Marlins because they've been bad with two years exception for the entirety of their existence. Yeah, you, you, you look at the Marlins and it seems to have a succession of owners that all have the co- same kind of concept about investigate about investing in the team. Uh, but you go from Heisenga to Loria to uh, it's 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 kind of a mess in Miami. I guess as long as we're talking about sad team twofers who's going to win, what if we go to the AL Central? Which sad team do you think will be good quicker, the Tigers or the Royals? I kind of think that if they change directions a bit, the Royals actually have potential because they do have some interesting young hitters. I just don't see that team is able to put talent together like consistently in the majors. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with the front office overhaul there. Because they had, they've actually gone through a wave of first promising young pitchers and then promising young hitters, and that should add up pretty well. And they haven't been able to make it add up. I don't know how much of that is just the pitchers were overrated, 
and the hitters haven't had time to work out yet. Like, I don't. I hey, Pascantino has been terrific. He has been. And Bobby Wood Jr. has been, I think, for his age and degree of difficulty, like, I'm satisfied with his season overall. He's really had a power outage to end the year, which is rough. But, yeah, it's a long season. It, it's a lot more at-bats than he's used to getting in a higher skill set level, and he's 22. I feel like you'd be content with his rookie year if it weren't for the fact that Julio and Adley are just going crazy. But, yeah, I think I like the Royals. But both front offices have been overhauled, which makes for a little bit more of a guessing game. And I think the Tigers will run a larger budget, which helps them a bit. I do think that this is a happier, who will be better, quicker than Nats and Marlins, where you wonder if the Marlins will just ever be good. I feel like the Royals and Tigers both have so many fun young players that I've got at least hope that they'll both work out. I don't usually praise the the Royals that much, but I do think that they have made some good decisions in the second half of the season about who to give playing time to. When Pascantino came up and didn't immediately hit, they didn't panic and send him back down to AAA. Yeah, I would have liked to see you know more Nick Prado at, at, at times, even if though he struggled. But they they've gotten Michael Massey at bats, they've gotten Nate Eaton at bats, they've taken a good look at Drew Waters, MJ Melendez. I mean, despite his his defensive issues at catcher, they have been putting him in the lineup quite steadily since they called him up yeah and i think a lot of times the royals haven't been good at doing that kind of thing but i do think that it, it is a positive development that they're actually using these plate appearances productively to, to look at these players yeah they're they're still giving too much playing time to say hunter dozier who's 30 and you know he's not gonna be anything but hunter dozier at this point but generally speaking i think it has been an improvement compared to the past yeah this is this is a long way removed from signing carlos santana who nice player wildly miscast yeah i am um i'm optimistic about that i think the tigers you know it hasn't worked out but they've given a lot of playing time to rule five picks i feel like their process is okay that way we'll see if it remains that way in, in the new era but they also have kind of i don't know like akil badu by himself is a pretty impressive thing like a pretty impressive player to have taken a bet on and had it work out i've got hope that their their system works and theoretically they have all these good pitchers coming up right <laughs> right well, yeah they, it, it keeps happening they keep injured. And, yeah yeah it's like oh god they already happened where are they yeah they're all on the il right now Oof, they're all in the 60 you brought up one of my favorite players to say akil badu is there a player with more of a star of a Star Wars prequel name than Akil Badu. Oh man, boy, that's a good question. I used to like to try to find like Harry Potter names among minor leaguers. My favorite of all time was Calix Crab, who I think has had a great <laughs> Harry Potter name. But I think Akil Badu sounds like some Jedi with a weird faceplate thing. You've got a good point. I think uh, even on the on the Tigers, Spencer Torkelson is a is a decent one. It's got like that really just heavy clunky sound to it. Now, next time we do this, I'm going to have to come back to you with some uh, some other Cavan Biggio. That's another good one, too. Oh, that that is that is a good that sounds like like a perfume maker <laughs> obsession by Cavan Biggio. No, but there, see, I'm I'm a fan of how words are put together, how they sound, how they connect. So I always look at player names and think of, of different things for them. Like I remember our favorite soap opera baseball player name was Blake Hawksworth. That is, that is an amazing soap opera name to be Blake Hawksworth. All right, Dan, I've uh, I've got a Star Wars name to bring us out on. You know this player, and he plays for a team you like, and he's a hitter. Do you want to take one guess? Hmm. Is it Terran Vavra? Oh, it is. Wow. 
<laughs> See? That's really impressive. Yeah, we did we did not plan this, fair listener. <laughs> That's a Star Wars name right there. It is it is a good name. I think we're gonna gonna wrap this up soon. I've got to go eat some breakfast. I got I got a late start. It's ten AM Pacific and I have not eaten breakfast. So that's a that's not a healthy. Oh, can way we to play Predict the Breakfast? We can play Predict the Breakfast. Okay. Uh is it very sweet? It is not very sweet. Is it sausage? No. Is there a sausage component? There is. Okay. Is this some kind of omelet? It's leftover pizza. I feel like this is gonna take a second to get oh. to. Okay. Well, anyway, I think we've reached the end of our week on Fangraphs Audio, unless we stick around to hear about Ben Clemens' lunch. Uh, I'm Dan Zaborski. <laughs> I want to thank Ben Clemens, as usual, for joining me. Thank you for listening to us. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you to Jake Mintz for joining us, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the program, consider sharing it with a friend or two. It would help us out. After you've sent this pod to a few friends and moseyed on over to the Fangraphs shop, don't forget to also check out the Fangraphs app. Free on the Apple Store and Google Play. It's the best way to keep Fangraphs in your pocket and on the go as you need our leaderboards and statistics at your fingertips. And don't forget to sign up for the Fangraphs newsletter. It's the best way to keep up on everything we have going on at the website, free to your inbox. That'll do it for us this week. Good luck to your playoff team, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you next time.